The reading this evening is taken from the book of Judges, chapter 13, beginning at the first verse. If you would like to follow it in the Church Bibles, it's on page 256. Judges 13, 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realise that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name, so that we may honour you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. 
Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realised that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtael. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's just pray for a moment, shall we? Father God, we thank you for your word and we pray that you'll help us to understand it and to see what you are saying to us tonight. May your spirit be our teacher. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, it's the last Sunday before Advent, which can only mean one thing. It's nearly Christmas. Isn't it? I hope you're all excited. I'm much more excited about Christmas than I am about the World Cup, which is really surprising for somebody who's really into football. But um, I've been thinking about Christmas, and um, I was wondering whether you were in a nativity when you were a child. Here's a picture of a nativity. Do you remember being in a nativity? What were you in the nativity? Can you remember what you were? What were you? What, what were you? You were a shepherd, so was I. You played the recorder and a shepherd. I was a shepherd too. Anyone else remember what they were? Angel Susan, fantastic. Any others? What we? You were the sorry. Oh, you were a wise person. Excellent. Anyone else? Anyone a, a, an ox or a donkey or a? octopus or anything like that. Well, in today's modern uh, nativity, you get all sorts. Well, um, I came across something really interesting. Well, it's not that interesting, but I thought it was quite interesting to start today. Um, It was entitled Some Research by Virgin Money. Uh, Your child's nativity part could predict their future in job and earnings. So you you can imagine it's all true. Uh, Anyway, um, so remember what you what you uh, were. Um, Brit, who played the part of the ox. Now, of course, I don't remember an ox being in nativity, but anyway, in the Bible story, um, apparently those who played the ox go on to earn a cool forty-three thousand a year on average, more than double what people who played a sheep or a lamb. Anyone played a sheep or a, a lamb? But while cattle aren't low earning, you can see what they did there, 
It was Mary's who ended up with the most social media followers, while narrators were most likely to get jobs as teachers. I can see you're not really excited as much as I was excited by this research. Innkeepers, most likely to work in manual labour industries, plumbing, etc., play chess and enjoy puzzles. Where do they get this from? Um, the wise men, most likely to work in construction, repair and maintenance, uh, enjoys gaming and bird watching. That's what apparently it says. But the ox, if you were an ox, uh, you were the... Uh, went on, according to this, to be the most high-earning. Anyway, I was fascinated by that, but I can clearly tell that you weren't as fascinated by it as I was. And it was really just a gratuitous way to introduce this series um, of miraculous births that we're going to be doing through um, Advent uh, running up to Christmas. And I was tempted to call this talk um, Samson the Saviour is Born. Um, so you can give it an idea about where I'm, I'm going um, with this tonight. Of course, Jesus is our far, far greater um, saviour. But nonetheless, Samson, as introduced in Judges, is a saviour of a sort. Um, he was born uh, to save the people of God. And so we read, as soon as Manoah's wife is told that she will bear a son, she hears of his mission, what he came to do. And if you look at verse 5, if you've got your Bibles open, it says, you will become pregnant, have a son, whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite. That means dedicated to God. He will take the lead in delivering Israel and from the hands of the Philistines. Now, if you know anything about the story of um, Samson, and I'd encourage you to go and look at this because we're not going to come back to Samson at the moment. This is, these are just one-offs. Um, you will know that he does come and he does eventually save, in part, the people of God. But it will remain, as we know, incomplete, waiting that greater saviour. So in this series, we're going to see a, few, a number of miraculous births, okay? And... Uh, they all relate to God's saving work that finds its climax, of course, in the birth of Jesus. So we're going to look at a few questions that relate to this passage. So first of all, we're going to ask, what is the Lord doing? And I've given you the answer there. He's delivering his people. Verse 1, again, Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there's a repeated thing that happens throughout Judges. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. It was great how Mandy read it again, because that happens so often through. You get the backdrop of sin and rebellion against God. And it's into this that we're introduced to Manoah and his wife. And his wife doesn't get a name. That's sad, isn't it? It doesn't get a name. Bear that in mind in a moment. So it's Israel's rebellion, God's judgment, and it's another story of God's deliverance. And that's a pattern that you see throughout Judges. Yet there is something missing in, in all the other stories that you see in, in Judges. It talks about how the people um, repented and how they were sorry for their sins. But here, they don't even mention that they were sorry for their sins. And yet, God is still prepared to deliver them anyway. It's such a sign of God's grace, isn't it? Despite they're not even looking for it at this stage, 
and God wants to, to be gracious to them and be kind to them. Despite our, their stupidity, our stupidity, God is g- greater than that. He wants to save people and uh, he wants to seek um, those who even aren't seeking him. Isn't that amazing? That's what's going on here. So, um, first of all, what is the Lord doing? He's delivering his people. The second question that we have is, where does the Lord begin? And there you are, when we can add nothing. When we can add nothing. Let's have a look at it. Verse 2, Manoah and his wife, who is childless and unable to give birth, and the angel of the Lord appears to her, and she hears these wonderful words that she'll become pregnant and give birth to a son. He'll become a Nazarite, dedicated to God. Verse 5, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. We see this so often uh, with God and how he deals with his people. Um, When God does a new thing, um, he, he uses the most unlikely of people, doesn't he? And he's using this nameless woman, the most unlikely of people, who is his childless. It reminds us so much of the pattern in Scripture. You see that with Sarah, don't you, and Abraham giving Isaac. You see that, as we'll see next week, with Hannah giving birth to Samuel. We see it with uh, Elizabeth and Zachariah giving birth to John the Baptist. It is a pattern. She's both childless and nameless. Obscurity. And yet, uh, God uses that. And Samson is another miraculous birth that shows us how God operates. God operates like this all the the time in Scripture, bringing salvation out of um, hopelessness or, or nothingness, really. It's extraordinary. And it reminds us that we don't add anything. We don't add anything. And that reminded me as I was reading about this. Um, you know those cake mixes that you, ju- you buy where it, it says, or oh, just add water? Um, I don't make cakes very often. But if I was going to make a cake, that's the one I would buy. <laughs> but um, I remember using these, and um, it says just add water. But the thing is, you just don't believe it, do you? <laughs> just add water, and so you start adding a bit of flour, and surely it must mean I must, must do more to add to this. I must add something to it, you know, and I start adding milk or something, and of course what happens is a disaster. And this is why I never make cakes, but um, that's beside the point. Um, and so it goes horribly wrong. I can't quite believe that I don't need to add anything really. That's a bit like us, isn't it, with, with God. There are times when the Lord, well, he doesn't need our help anyway, but we refuse to believe that of God, that he doesn't need our help, and he can bring something out of nothing. Um, and so often we live with that illusion that um, he needs our help somehow, that we must do something to add to his plans and purposes. So... The angel of the Lord visits a nameless, childless woman. Isn't that amazing? And that's God's pattern. 
Thirdly, what does the Lord hear? Well, he hears us. Um, Manoah prayed to the Lord, you can see that, um, probably for confirmation about what his wife had seen. He's anxious to know, is it true? That's interesting in itself, isn't it? Um, But notice it says that God heard Manoah. God heard Manoah, and he hears us too. Um, And we take that so often for granted, don't we, actually? We take it so much for granted that we kind of um, sort of say, oh, of course he hears us. Um, But actually, often, you know, when we read the scriptures, we realize that is that always the case? But yet we do say that, don't we? He always hears us. I wonder how you, you view your prayers. Um, maybe sometimes, like me, you, you view your prayers as a bit, a bit routine sometimes. You know, you can get stuck in a rut, can't you, with your prayers? And um, I was reminded that it's a bit like um, viewing your prayers like taking the bins out. You know, you, you get into a routine in doing it, like the bins. It's a daily routine, or it's something you leave to another member of your household to do. Uh, it's their job, it's their, their role. But what if we viewed taking the bins out actually more in, in that intentional way? Now, you know, you've got to go with me at this. Go with me about taking your bins out. You know, view your bins as something almost sacramental, a sign of something else, okay? And how important taking your bins out, because it's a sign, isn't it, of God's provision for you, isn't it? Because into the bin go all your potato peelings, all your leftovers, all your scraps and everything else, and it reminds you that God has fed you, hasn't it? It actually should remind you of that. And we miss what God is saying and doing for us because it's just routine. Yeah? A bit like our prayers. When, when God listens to the voice of Manoah or to our voice, you know, we mustn't just sort of view it as routine. We must view it, God hears, he really hears it. That the God of the universe who created the stars and the heavens and the wonders, he, he stoops down to listen to you and me. It's an amazing. And I know in my own life, I can so easily let that become routine. Fourthly, does the Lord set limits? God is beyond understanding. What's this all about? The angel of the Lord responds to Manoah's prayer by appearing again to his wife, not to him initially. And to cut a long story short, Manoah meets the angel of the Lord and wants to offer him an elaborate meal. He wants to offer an offering. Um, And the angel says, you must go to the Lord. You must offer it to him. Manoah tries a different tack because he's wanting to get in with this angel and he asks his name and again the angel of the Lord avoids the direct answer what's going on here well here we see that the Lord sets some limits doesn't he to what he's going to reveal about himself Um, and in that we read that 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 God is just too big isn't he for us to comprehend to tell us more about 
who he is. If we were to hear it, we would be overwhelmed. He, he's saying, isn't he, my character, my nature is just too much, too beyond. You simply cannot um, take it in. As verse 18 replies, he replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding or it is, it's just too wonderful for you. We, um, to a degree, are in a, in a different situation to Manoah, but sometimes we forget, don't we? Yes, the Lord has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus. As John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He has revealed his glory to us. He has made himself known, yet there is still much more depth and mystery, isn't there, to God? Um, much more to plumb the depths of. And yet we will never fully comprehend God and who he is. There's still limits. And that's what we're seeing here um, with Manoah. So there are limits because God is beyond our understanding. Fifthly, what fear does the Lord bring? We cannot fail to see the fear the Lord brings here as Manoah makes his offering, verse 19, and it tells us that the Lord did an amazing thing. Let me read it to you. As the flames blazed up from the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again, they realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. We've seen God. Sometimes as Christians, I think we're too quick to say, oh, well, that was, that was then, that was in the Old Testament. Um, uh, they didn't understand, they didn't have Jesus. Um, maybe sometimes we're a bit too quick to do that. Um, we actually need to see Manoah and his instincts were, were right. Well, instinctively, they were right. Um, where did we get the idea that the presence of God is not in dangerous? Um, we see somehow, to use the, because we're in, nearly in Christmas, we sometimes have a Santa Claus view of God, don't we? That he's the, Although Santa Claus can be quite scary, can't he? I just realised that as I was thinking about it. It can be a bit awkward, can't it? But, you know, a kind of benevolent figure. Santa Claus isn't a very good analogy at all, actually, as I think about it more and more. But you get the idea. The disciples knew this very well, actually. You remember when they went up on the transfiguration and they enveloped by the cloud? It tells us that they were afraid. They were fearful. Um, we, need to stand, we need to stand this fear of God also next to, though, the faithfulness that we hear, not firstly from Manoah, but from Manoah's wife. Again, verse 23, if, she says, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering, nor shown us all the things, or now told us this. Because what were they told? What was she told? She was told of a promise of a son. So why would God kill the very people he's just promised to give a baby to? Doesn't make sense, does it? And of course it's because she's 
adding it up, saying, well, God's made a promise in his word to us. And always the proper balance when we approach God is this kind of, this kind of um, together keeping the, the fear and the comfort of God together. Um, the reverence with the joy. Um, I'm reminded of a, a teacher our children had. I've got to be careful um, so it's not, uh, the person's not identified. A teacher that our children had at school. Um, when they were in the lower years, they thought this teacher um, was really scary and cross. Uh, and, uh, but what, by the time they actually got into his class in year five or six, <laughs> I'll make it vaguer, um, they actually got into his class and they found that he was fun and, and interesting and, and he wasn't what, exactly what they thought. Uh, and maybe something with, with us, with God in that, isn't there? Often we approach the Lord as if he's either or, either one or the other. Um, either either all comforting or all fearful, but actually he's... He's a combination of both because he's a holy God. Um, perhaps a better word would be being in awe of God, being in awe of him. So what fear does the Lord bring? Faithful trust in his word, isn't it? That's where Manoah's wife goes to. Finally, what does the pattern of the Lord mean? What does the pattern of the Lord mean? God had a plan from the beginning. The end of chapter 13 tells us um, all we know about Samson's childhood. We don't know anything. Does that sound familiar about somebody else's childhood that we know very little about? It does, doesn't it? This is Samson's nativity story here in chapter 13. And it concentrates on the circumstances of his birth. First. 24, the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. Does that sound familiar? Again, it's very reminiscent of Luke 2. Samson's birth story is really important, but his childhood is not important to us. We're not given no more details than we have here about his childhood. In the same way, Jesus' nativity follows the same pattern. We're given loads of information about Jesus' roots, his genealogy, where he came from, the birth, even a little bit about him being a toddler, and certainly his public ministry when he goes uh, 30 plus, but we have nothing about his childhood. Why this pattern? Well, perhaps the writer wants to show us, so you and me, that the Lord not only raised up deliverers for Israel but that he grew them as well and that it wasn't just by, by chance as if it was sort of from scratch and sometimes we think of God's salvation in, especially in the Old Testament we think of it more sometimes and we fall into the pattern of thinking it's reactive you know, a situation comes up and you've got to find someone to save the people. It's somehow reactive. Um, a kind of band-aid approach to the world affairs by God. A case-by-case Christ management. I will find a, a deliverer somewhere out there. Yet maybe, 
Maybe God's showing us that he had a plan from the very beginning about the greater than Samson who ransomed us at such cost. Samson foreshadows, doesn't he, Jesus Christ, of that greater deliverer. Because if you know anything about the story of Samson, and he really encourages you to go and read it, it's a great read. We find that although he does deliver the people from the Philistines, he's deeply flawed, deeply flawed and um, reminds us of ourselves that we're all deeply flawed as humans, but reminds us that we need a greater, a greater deliverer than Samson. And that's what God had him planned from the very beginning. His name is given to us. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus, God saves. And as 1 Peter 1.20 says, he was chosen before the creation of the world. That's a plan, isn't it? <laughs> he was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last days for your sake, for yours and for mine. Let's just take um, some time to wait upon the Lord from what we've heard tonight, and then we will come to the table. I invite you just to take some time, perhaps, on your own, just to consider what God's Word's been saying to you tonight. He, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last days for your sake. Father, we thank you so much for uh, your word tonight. We thank you for the story of Samson's birth, his miraculous birth. We thank you that he points us forward to that even greater birth of your son, Jesus, thank you that he's the one who came to deliver, to save us. Father, thank you for what Jesus has done to save us through the cross, dying in our place so that we could know you, that we could know your name. Father, as we come to the table, as we eat bread and drink wine, we pray that we will remember your great deliverance through Jesus. And would it refresh our hearts and our minds that we may live for you. For we ask in his name. Amen.